The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This is unbelievable. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. It's the five-star college football podcast that everyone needs. Make sure that you subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Spotify. Yes, that's right. We are on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson. Barton, um, this is a point in the offseason where I've enjoyed taking a little bit of space from the the sort of grind of the news cycle to try and get some perspective. And that's been my operative word here because, you know, we'll uh, I know you'll have the camp circuit, you know, in June to to keep the recruiting trail busy. And then in July, we've got to start, we're going to start getting asked the first week of July for informed predictions, projections, and thoughts, including our win totals here on the Cover 3 podcast. And so this is a good time to be able to figure out what those thoughts are going to be. This is, I mean, the, uh, what, what's exciting for me right now is I, I really think it's okay to start really exploring preseason expectations right like we can find like we can uh, it's it's not um like weird or too nerdy or like insane to like if it's february and you're already like projecting out to the season like that's a little much like take take a breather pal uh but you know we're 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 almost in june so look it's it's i think we can look big picture and start looking at the season a little bit um, this, I mean, yeah, if you do it before spring ball, what are you doing? You know, the transfer portal for the most part, things seem to be calm and, uh, and again, it's, it'll be here before we know it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It'll be, yeah. So we'll, we'll, and, and, you know, uh, the, I mean, we're, I mean, we're two months away from, from media days, big 10 SEC Pac-12, I think they're all like in the same couple days this year. Uh, yeah, ACC is the 17th and 18th. So yeah, two months away. Uh, so two-month countdown. That I mean, that really initiates the beginning of the cycle. So um, so let's you know let's let's get a jump on things. All right. So the 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 jump here is going to be a little bit big picture topic. Some of them schools 
specific, some of them conference specific, but just sort of as we're laying out the talking points in the landscape of what are going to be the interesting um, angles to dig into, to debate and to digest and, and work through in the 2019 football season. So we've got questions. It's the These off-season questions are going to start to set the conversation. So, Barton, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I can go first. Okay. Uh, My questions are, they start a little specific, and as I get get down my list, they get much more big picture. Uh, But I'm going to start with a very specific one that I think is kind of interesting. I'm going to start at the quarterback room uh, level. And I'm starting to make my quarterback rooms list. I do my annual ranking of the quarterback rooms around the country. And I wanted to throw it at you, Chip. The Ohio State quarterback room, if last year's quarterback room, and just a reminder of what last year's quarterback room was, it was Dwayne Haskins, Tate Martell, Matthew Baldwin. If, if, hypothetically, I don't know what you would have ranked them, but let's just say hypothetically you would have given that quarterback room an 8 out of 10 rating. Okay. Um, and, and that's not just rating Dwayne Haskins. That's rating the depth, the long-term you know, stability, the the ability to place you know someone if they get hurt, all that sort of stuff. Diehard listeners should be very familiar because we have ranked and rated quarterback rooms on this very podcast before. That's another no off-season activity. No doubt. So this is just basically getting a jump on that with yeah. one of the more interesting ones because Ohio State has has had a entire wholesale quarterback room turnover. All those guys I just named are gone. And now returning is Justin Fields, Gunnar Holcomb, uh, and why am I blanking on the last one? I had the question. Uh, the last quarterback. Oh, and, and, and Chris Chuganoff. Out of, uh, so if... If that was an eight, uh, Dwayne Haskins, and as we saw that, he ended up being a first-round draft pick. But if that room collectively was an eight, what are you giving Justin Fields, Gunnar Hoke, and uh, Chris Chuganoff? A decided five. You could maybe talk me up into six, but I don't know. Um, you know the the deep research on the rest of the room beyond Justin Fields. I will admit, I will admit, is a little bit light on my part. But I have been able to tell from Columbus and from those close to the team that there is at the moment a very uh, you know operative part of predicting Ohio State in the 2019 season, which is step one. Do you think Justin Fields under Ryan Day's leadership is going to be able to be? what we have imagined Justin Fields could be as a prospect. You know, is, is he going to finally connect given the full workload? And then the second question, equally as concerning, just because it's the game of college football and, and Justin Fields as a, is Justin Fields as a quarterback like anyone else capable of getting a little banged up? You know, if Justin Fields is Justin Fields going to be able to be healthy for 12, 13, 14 games, because again, my sense out of Columbus, and I will admit a little bit of ignorance into the deep specifics of the rest of the quarterbacks in the room, my sense is if Justin Fields gets hurt, things are going to get a little bit dicey. So I'm going to downgrade it to a five and acknowledge that most of the reason that I even have it as a five is because I still have belief in the promise of what Justin Fields could be. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think that's very fair. I think, and if, I, I think a five is probably accurate based on where they're starting. I, I think it's possible that by the end of the year we're looking at this quarterback room as a six or a seven. Like I think it could. I think I think Justin Fields will improve as the year progresses. Um, but I think Matthew Baldwin transferring out, going to TCU, is a pretty big loss. When you think about it, I mean, all right, let's Justin Fields as a runner is going to take a few hits. Right, going to do more, you know, quarterback read option stuff. Um, if if Justin Fields goes down, I mean, I don't know. Maybe Gunnar Hoke's better than we think, but I don't. He didn't play over uh, our boy at Kentucky, uh, who was very average. And so, I, I'm 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 of the opinion that. It, like what is what does Ohio State look like if Gunnar Hoke's the starting quarterback, or if Chris Chuganov's the starting quarterback? That's Terry, not a, Terry Wilson, our boy Terry scary. Wilson, scary Terry, Terry Wilson. Wilson. So, so yeah, so I think Justin Fields is still really talented, but that's all we hear out of Ohio State is how talented he is. We don't hear how good he is; we just hear how talented he is. Um, and and they don't even have an incoming freshman in the 2019 cycle coming in, so. This is who you got, and so I think to ha- to to, to list anything better than six to start is probably pretty optimistic, uh, and 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 so I think that's a big sort of I wouldn't say issue, but just something to watch for Ohio State is Justin Fields has to be what we think he is and stay healthy, and, and he has to stay healthy. There's two. Yeah, there's there's two parts to this neither of which are certainties. What about, all right, so it's funny to, you know, pinch myself in the, in this moment and remember that J.K. Dobbins is still on this roster, right? And so that was that was where my next, you know, step of this was going to be is if if for all the, you know, they got this, this talented wide receiver, Garrett Wilson, you know, making big boy plays in the spring game, got everybody all excited. You're imagining what this Justin Fields, Ryan Day offense could be. What does the offense look like without Justin Fields? And I was like, I don't know, a Big Ten offense with J.K. Dobbins getting 25 carries a game? Right. It might be back to that just, you know, let let everybody run crossers again. Get, yes. those, get those drag routes going again and just, you know, let, let, let's distribute. I, so, But, I mean, it's and, – and I think if Matthew Baldwin was still in the room, you could make a case that this is like a seven – like if again, if you're comparing it to last year's eight, and with the with the with the possibility that it becomes an eight or a nine by the end of the year, if Justin Fields really just blows the roof off it, um, because but but like having that safety net of Matthew Baldwin in the room, because I do think I'm comfortable that he is a, a quality starter. That that would have totally changed the dynamic of this room, but but given what it is now. That creates a much thinner kind of margin for error for Ohio State. All right, I'm I'm gonna stay specific and I'm gonna stay there because it it, it dovetails nicely into really one of one of my big questions because it's a single game. It's very specific, but the impacts from from my seat in terms of what it means for both coaches, both teams, both programs, and both fan bases. I think that this this one game might be 
one like outside of games that are going to impact the title race, and certainly this one could. I think that this one's going to have the longest reaching impact. Do you believe that Michigan will beat Ohio State in 2019? Um, where's the game? Is it at Michigan this year? This year, the game is at Michigan. It feels it. It feels like it, this will be the year, doesn't it? That's that's why I'm on it. You know, because yeah. uh, last year they tie for the division title, both at eight and one in conference play. But obviously, Ohio State hanging the big. Wasn't it a sixty-two? A big six deuce on the board, and that game was just so demoralizing. And you know, Urban Meyer steps away. So this, it just it feels like with a little bit of uncertainty with Ohio state at the quarterback position with a lot of questions left to be answered. And we mentioned some of this on the coaching uh, podcast. You know, we, we still got to go see Ryan day coach a full season and we, we need to know what that's going to be. The game is in the big house like this. Just it. I, I'm, I start the question, but I also have it backed up with the idea that it has to happen. Like if this Jim Harbaugh, Michigan breakthrough is going to happen. It feels like it has to happen this year. And I don't even think Michigan has to win the division. I don't even think Michigan has to go to the college football playoff, but I think Michigan has to beat Ohio state at the end of the season. Yeah. Uh, did you see Chris Partridge, um, Michigan's uh, linebackers coach, or maybe the safeties coaches. Anyway, he's one of their defensive coaches and, and uh, he was quoted after spring ball. Um, they just had sort of their coaches' media availability, and he was talking about how he kind of got fiery. And a, you know, he took it really personal that two coaches left their staff to go join Ohio State. Um, he, you know, he was talking about how that that their program, Michigan, they got blood in their mouth from that game against. Ohio State, how he, you know, keeps them up. They think about it all the time. I think motivation, particularly in college football, is meaningful and it's and it's real. And I think Michigan is incredibly motivated and focused and zeroed in. And and I don't necessarily think Michigan is going to be in the college football playoffs. I've made that mistake a couple times over the last <laughs> couple of years, is predicting them in the playoffs. And I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to make that mistake again. But I, I do think that, to your point, and especially because they're replacing so much on defense, like there might be, it might take some time to get the new pieces in place. It might take some time to get the new offense ironed out. But I think by that game, there's going to be so much motivation. They will have, they will at that point be sort of the best version themselves. And, and while Ohio State will be steady as she goes, and I don't really have any doubt Ohio State will be really good. I do think that I could see that happening. Like, I, if you if you're putting a gun to my head, I'll go ahead and I'll make that prediction. I'll get on your I'll get on on your side there and say, okay, this is the year Michigan wins that game, even if they don't beat, even if Ohio State wins the Big Ten. Right. Like, I could see that. I could see Ohio State winning the Big Ten and Michigan winning the game. Like Michigan, I got their schedule pulled up right now. Like, you know, M- Michigan goes to play um, at Camp Randall at. Wisconsin September 21st maybe they lose that one maybe they lose at Penn State maybe they lose at home to Notre Dame you know I I don't know but when they host Ohio State on November 30th 
Harbaugh's got to win. And it's like, and it's the kind of game where if, if that's not going to be the game where Michigan's going to win, not that it'll never happen under Jim Harbaugh, but it's just like, oh man, like what, well then what, what is the, the ceiling and the expectation? Because beating your head and banging your head against that year after year after year from like the spot was good back with JT. I mean, there've been just so many uh, close calls and not being able to break through it. It just feels like it has to happen this year. Uh, yeah, I mean, if uh, yeah, I mean, if it doesn't, what was it? What is, was it? Lloyd Carr that just like kept on losing to Ohio State, uh, and 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 that was just sort of his down, his his undoing. Like he had uh, Lloyd Lloyd Carr had teams that were like in the running for national championships, but because they like won a national championship in 1997, but like still kept winning Big Ten titles through the early 2000s, but losses to Ohio state ended up being the one thing that people jumped off board for. And, and if we get there at the end of this season and he's lost and, and Jim Harbaugh's lost again to Ohio state. And I mean, it, look, Lloyd Carr was a good coach, but I don't think when you hired Jim Harbaugh, you necessarily thought you were getting, uh, I think you thought you were getting something better than Lloyd Carr. You hoped at least. and, and I, you know, if, if he can't do it at the end of this season, I mean that's a that, that's a that's a pretty tough indictment. That said, like the thing about Jim Harbaugh that's so tough to read is he's he's won he's had three ten win seasons in the past four years, and I looked this up before we as we when we were doing the coach rankings, I think. I mean, Ohio State's had like four 10-win seasons in the previous 10, or uh, I think. like So he's done well. Like Even relatively speaking to like recent Michigan history, they've done well, but they got to at some point get this Ohio State monkey off their back. They have not finished better than 10th in the final AP poll. And, and I will say this. Look, bowl games, bowl games should not matter. Uh, and I don't know. Bowl games, each bowl game is its own individual beautiful thing that can have varying levels of significance and importance, right? Some bowl games mean a lot more than others. Not necessarily, you know, the stakes of the bowl game, but also what it means for the season. And I, I wonder, three straight bowl losses, you know, two, one in the Orange Bowl, one in the Peach Bowl, I feel, like Mich- I feel like Michigan could also Jim Harbaugh in this Michigan program could do itself some favors by going into one of these high profile nine conference games and coming out a winner. Yeah, I mean that 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 I mean talking about that Ohio State game being big the the uh, the Notre Dame game is pretty big too, no doubt. Uh, um, so all right, what's your next question? All right, so this is in light of recent newsy events that have taken place in Gainesville. We can dig into that a little bit. Um, but if we are – if you look at the University of Florida and you consider that – well, let me just put it this way. What's more likely, that Florida under Dan Mullen – is on the verge of a run where they win multiple national championships. So at least two 
what's more likely that that takes place or that they are on the verge of another crash in a ball of flames type of uh, run. Like, and I'll tell you the, the context here. So five-star top 100 prospects, Chris Steele, early enrollee, running with the ones at cornerback, probably was going to be a nickel type of corner for them this past, this next, this last next year. Transfers out because uh, Florida wouldn't change his room assignments in the spring because he was uncomfortable with his roommates, Jalen Jones, Florida quarterback recruit, early enrollee. Jalen Jones gets charged or cited with uh, a couple of sexual assault allegations. Um, and with that and sort of the feeling and that, look, I, there's just like a vibe right now. It's a little bit loose there uh, to me, just kind of they're, they're, it feels like they are winning football games. I feel like they're going to play winning football, but it feels like it's, it's going to be sort of old school wild West sec style. And maybe that's not fair. Maybe that's just an overreaction to this most recent event. Uh, but I'm curious if, if your antenna is pointing you towards a multiple national championship run or the polar opposite. My antenna is cynically not my, my antenna is cynically almost pointing towards the multiple national championship because when you mention the, I mean, when you mention all of these off field issues and yes, there is an idea that things are a little bit loose and that they could be really close to playing some winning football. And, and I've really come around on where I'm at with Dan Mullen, right? Just sort of as a football coach and as a leader of a college football program. And I'm just saying the last time that things are like this in Gainesville, they won two national titles in three years. <laughs> and and Dan Mullen was a part of it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm like I'm like I don't know. Like you know, we've got a we've got an editor who's a a big Florida guy, and and so when any Florida headline comes uh, out, it pops up in our uh, Slack workroom. And you know, I've I have not been I've not drawn the assignment of writing all these stories, so I don't know all the intimate details. But my distance view of it is like, ooh. We got a couple of rests. We got a couple of uh, issues. Yeah. Sounds like Florida's about to start winning football games again. Right. And that's just the scars of just that Urban Meyer era. I mean, I hope that we don't have a convicted murderer on the roster right now. I can hope for that. But I, I, between those two options and like crash and burn and a ball of flames, I mean, remember there was the issue last year before the season started. Was it a robbery? Uh... Uh, that sounds that rings a bell, but I don't I don't remember the specifics there. Yeah, no, I I, I think that I think that between those two options, I'm going to lean more towards national titles, just because we have seen in the last 20 years that that kind of fast and loose, and like you mentioned, Dan Mullen was a part of it. That Florida can find ways to win football games that way. He's got the blueprint, and I, and I think uh, you know this the cynical uh, perspective is probably that Florida fans. If if it's you know if you're gonna leave us in a 
ashy heap, uh, you know, back to four and eight with uh, a, a roster that's needs total revamping like Urban Meyer did. But if you if you leave us with that, with two national title crystal balls in our trophy case, we'll we'll probably take it. Absolutely. That's probably the case for a lot of fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, listen, I'm, I I'll never forget. It was uh, probably about eleven years ago or so, and this this Vir- this Virginia University of Virginia football fan was basically like, I wish that we would cheat and we would let in all of the dumbest best football players possible. And I would take all the NCAA violations if we could get one good season. Right. Just to be a blue blood for just a moment of time. So probably the answer to my question, which was what's more likely, Florida wins multiple national championships or all goes down in a, in a ball of flames? Maybe the answer is both. Maybe they just <laughs> win a national championship or two and it all still goes down a ball of flames and everyone's happy. Do you, I, I, am very, I am getting very close to thinking about picking Florida over Georgia for the SEC East this fall. You're very close to picking Florida over Georgia? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was getting close to I was getting tempted with it, but I've I think I've I think I've come to my senses a little bit when you just you know, I th- I still think that that Georgia is is who you trust. But my my thing with Florida is I'm I'm on this Felipe Franks train where I'm I'm open to the possibility that Felipe Franks is is ready to take the next step. And the next step under Dan Mullen could be a pretty dramatic one. And so um that's why everyone's been you know, that's why Florida's been written off for the longest time is quarterback play. Right. You know, when was the last time they had a good quarterback? Will Greer. So for and which was was that six, even a full season? No, it was like six half- games. So, so, so they had six games of good quarterback play in basically the last decade, right? And if we get twelve games of good quarterback play this year, what what does this team look like? Could be, could look pretty good. Could look really, really good. Um, and that's, you know, the not not jumping on this this Florida hype train or, or the notion that Florida could be ready to take the next step is mostly out of respect for Georgia, right? Like they right. they have very very quickly establish themselves as the class of the conference but this georgia football team also absolutely has one or two this georgia football team absolutely has one inexplicable loss in it this georgia team does you think yeah yeah i think well i don't know are they is this georgia team what like why do you say they definitely have that because because I i feel like if there's one thing about this georgia team it's that they strike me as a team we will be able to trust. Like, they might not be as sexy as whatever Oklahoma's putting on the field. They may not have quite the horsepower of Alabama. You know, they, 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 they might not be able to put together an offensive show like we'll see it on a few occasions at Ohio State or whatever, but, but they're just, they're, They've got a little bit of a boa constrictor in them where they're just, I mean, boa constrictors don't have bad days. Like, they're just going to squeeze the life out of you. And some some people are going to be big enough to withstand it, but most aren't. And I just, but I think that squeeze is coming for every team. So uh, 
So that's my thing about Georgia is I think someone's going to have to be better than them to beat them. Mm. So that's why. I th- so like, do you think that they've that they will likely throw a couple eggs, throw an egg once during the season? I I think that Georgia could have two conference losses at the end of the regular season. And if one of those is to Florida, then, you know, all of a sudden you're not playing in Atlanta for the SEC championship game. I don't know if I trust. And some of this is, I don't, I I will admit, you know, we're sitting here in May. I'm not sure if I am, um, I'm not sure if I'm all in on whatever Georgia's counterpunch is, right? Like if, if if Georgia just doesn't show up for a quarter and all of a sudden they're caught in a game where they do need to get flashy and they do need to, they need to start getting stops and uh, score in a hurry. You know, I'm, I don't know about Georgia's counterpunch. And that's look, you can, how, how many teams in the country do you say you feel good about their counterpunch? But we're comparing Georgia to the best teams and we are considering Georgia among the best teams in the country. And that's where you get down to like, yes, I, I do trust them. And I think that when they go out there and they, they beat Georgia beats 10 teams on it, nine or 10 teams on its schedule when it gets off the bus, just like we are going to come out and we're going to beat you down. We are the bullies and we're going to show you so, but they, I mean, Georgia could, Georgia absolutely could find itself in a game against Tennessee where Tennessee just hits on a couple of special teams plays and then all of a sudden you're like, what in the world is going to happen? And it is Georgia's response there when it no longer has the leverage that it establishes just basically on size and talent alone. When it gives that up, uh, I'm curious to see how this year's Georgia team responds. My notion is that it's just going to be by putting the ball in Jake Fromm's hands and tell him to go win it, right? Right. But we got to see it. That's the other. Uh, that's the other thing that I think is interesting about Georgia is that is the Jake Fromm deal in that we've we've all been in awe of Jake Fromm as a you know his ability to take over and start as a true freshman his ability to to lead so young and so early but we, but but for a while it, the perspective was this all right man Jake Fromm what a good college quarterback he's going to be a solid backup in the pros someday but this is a season where I could absolutely see it flip to where all right Jake Fromm is like in the discussion as the number one overall pick Mm. just because of the 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 trajectory and the the kind of season they could have and and the all the people that want to like him because of all the reasons you should like him it's just this is gonna I'm, I'm fascinated to see what Jake Fromm's how his trajectory continues, whether he plateaus this year and is just continues to be considered a good quarterback or whether he can become a guy that we talk about as a first round draft pick. Well, all right. So four of the top five receivers from last year's team are gone. Jeremiah Holloman's the only one back. Riley Ridley, Miko Hardman, Isaac Nada, Terry Godwin, all uh, taking on either professional careers or at least working to make it the 53 man roster like that's if if george's passing game is uh fully operational then he's going to get a lot of the credit for being uh, the reason for it absolutely and i think that he has the talent to be that 
who are going to be the difference makers at wide receiver for Georgia this year? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Demetrius Robertson is supposed to step up. Like it's about time. Jeremiah Holloman is should be legit. Um, Tyler Simmons. Um, I mean, they've been recruiting well enough there. George Pickens was the, is the is the 2019 recruit they got in who needs to qualify. If he qualifies, he could make an impact as a true freshman. Um, but they've, I mean, they've got enough players there. Cortez Hankton is the receivers coach. He's supposed to be the real deal. If he can develop those guys, you would think that they can be the next guys up. Um, so, but that's that's definitely. I mean, we all know what the run game brings to the table at Georgia. You know, obviously, it's the pass game that that we we need answers out of and uh we'll see coming up we got more questions and answers the off-season questions more of them next the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived thanks to the visionary minds of new balance clutch athletics and rich paul the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community with rising defensive football stars will anderson and chase young on the roster clutch athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes giving them style and performance on and off the field learn more and purchase clutch athletics at newbalance.com this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law Hey, golf fans, PGA Championship Week is here. I mean, it's going on right now, and CBS Sports is giving you tons of ways to follow all the action on the second major championship of the year. You can watch the tournament live stream on Saturday and Sunday in the CBS Sports mobile app and on cbssports.com totally for free. That's right. You heard me, free 99. You don't have to pay a subscription or have a cable package to watch, but we don't stop there because on CBS Sports HQ, the streaming sports network that's on 24 hours a day and seven days a week, our experts are giving you insider information. That's going to include Kyle Porter. That's going to include me, Chip Patterson. And guess what? That's free too. CBSSportsHQ.com. During the PGA Championship, CBS Sports HQ will have highlights of all of the action. Kyle Porter's going to be on there. Chip Patterson's going to be on there. And we will be asking the key questions like, will Tiger win another major? Will Brooks Kepka capture his second straight PGA Championship? Will Ricky Fowler finally win his first major? Follow all the action at CBS Sports. Download the CBS Sports app on your phone, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, or Apple TV, and start watching today. All right, I got the... Uh, I got the talking stick, the question stick right here. Barton, do you think the Pac-12 will make the college football playoff in 2019? I mean, no. Right? Like I mean the the default answer would be no. I mean, that's would be the it would be a surprise. Who's going to predict which who is going to have in their college football playoff projections preseason and their top 4, who's going to have a Pac-12 team? And which Pac-12 team would it be? Washington, I guess? Yeah. 
Is there any other like viable candidates? You could Oregon. You could go Oregon, and you could guess at a. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you could jump on a uh, Graham Harrell plus JT Daniels equals resurgency. Yeah, but <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> someone might. I've already. I've, I've, I fired my USC bullet. I. I, I I stepped on that landmine last year, so I'm out on the USC train this year for the playoffs. We'll see what I do on the win total, but I'm even a little bit skeptical about Washington in terms of their offense and what they are supposed to be, and and I think I, I wonder if Jonathan Smith's departure to Oregon State has been and will continue to be a bigger loss than maybe people realize at the time. I mean, Bush Hamden, we thought at the time, was a really good hire. Um, young guy, coach under Peterson, had an NFL cup of coffee as a as a coach and came back. And, yeah, last year was pretty underwhelming offensively for Washington. They haven't really evolved offensively. They – so I just – I don't necessarily trust them. In fact, I was uh, when I did a win total segment with CBS HQ maybe last week or something. They asked me all the, like it was it was to piggyback the coach rankings, and they asked me for win totals on uh, like Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, um someone else maybe uh, maybe Texas A&M and their that total was like seven and a half and then Washington which the wind total was 10 and I, I, at the risk of like being a little bit of a of a Joe fan I was like I went over 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 under and I and I had to pick an under because I wasn't going to go all overs and my under was was Washington because at 10 I think was their total I think it's I just don't know if I see this team going 11 and 1 and I think that they are still really good. Probably 10 wins is probably about what I expect out of them. But you got to go undefeated out there to get in the, in the playoffs. And I just don't know that I'm there yet in seeing this as a dominant team this year. And it's not as if like the reviews have been wild off the charts for Jacob Eason coming out of spring. I mean, he's been... I think he's probably expected to be their starter, but I don't know that he is giving them a jolt of first round uh, energy just yet. Maybe that's a mid year thing or a year two thing, or maybe it never happens. Maybe it's a day one thing. But my my reading the tea leaves tells me that Eason is is talented, but not necessarily a savior right now. So I'm really pushing myself to not. Uh, not just Not walk just- in there and fill out my college football playoff form and have it be Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State. Right. It's gonna be hard this year to fi- to to not go with chalk in the four. So I'm I'm kind of I, I am really starting to push myself out in a little bit because too often in college football there there is that situation where you're you've got your two or three that you feel good about, but there's almost always one. Like, did a lot of people have Notre Dame in the playoff last year? Certainly not Notre Dame going twelve and zero in the regular season, right? No, yeah, no. People, I don't know. I don't think 
I don't think anybody had them in the playoffs, really. I think we have Notre Dame potential with Washington this year. Um, number A couple reasons. The schedule, I believe, is favorable. They get USC at home. They get Oregon at home, and they get Washington State, the Apple Cup, at home. All those games at home and playing in Husky Stadium, I, at least you know among the Pac-12, I do consider that right up there with Autzen Stadium as one of the one of the better uh, home field advantages, and I, I believe that some of the data backs that up. I am not necessarily putting all my faith in Jacob Eason, but I do believe that some of the limitations of Washington's offense. In addition to, you know, J- Jonathan Smith's exit, I feel like you and I were talking about midseason. It was something that we sniffed out, and it was a question that we had. I think that all of the time since then and the departure of Jake Browning and the, you know, kind of go back to the drawing board and reimagine what we want to do, I'm just going to trust Chris Peterson, the super experienced, wildly successful, high winning percentage coach to be able to to piece something together because you've I have never really been able to put my finger on exactly you know one style or scheme that uh, these these teams have and I think that some of that is a little bit of you know you you adapt to your personnel and I don't think Jacob Eason's going to be a first round NFL draft pick type talent but he might not need to be with this Washington team to be able to win the Pac-12 and to be able to, you know, win it at 11 and 1 or maybe even to be able to win it at 12 and 0. That again, Oregon's going to be good. They do have to play at Stanford, but when you've got USC at home, you've got Oregon at home, you've got Washington State at home, and just the the general increase in talent that it feels like that program has had and uh, they're turning out NFL draft picks every single year. It just feels like the program is healthy enough that it could be the team that creeps up out of nowhere. Now, oh, hey, do you want to respond to that? Because there's another piece to the prediction. Uh, go ahead. Do the other piece. I think the Big Ten's going to cannibalize itself. Well, my 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 other my only other comment on the Washington piece was, you're like I don't I don't disagree with that prediction i think that's po- it's very possible especially when you look at the, the schedule and it's just the pac-12 in general is just so unimposing it's just and and i don't know if you did you mention utah at home oh yeah there you go utah at home too uh, that's another big one i mean because i think utah is going to be pretty good so that all makes sense so they could lose to i mean they could lose to usc they could lose at stanford they could lose to oregon they could lose to utah you know, that initially, that's all. Those are the only potential losses you can see. You know, right? That, and, and that I, is a floor oh, of eight and four. You're dealing with only, a floor of eight and four. Yeah, and only one of those is on the road, and that's at the the terrifying confines of Stanford Stadium, um, <laughs> where actually visitors might have an advantage because the atmosphere right. is so dead. Uh, right. So, like, that's that's a hell of a schedule. Um, as for the Big Ten, uh, this is a – yeah, like this – to me, I don't think you can like pencil in just a clear um, playoff favorite or clear like consensus national – like you're not going to see the same Big Ten team. Like last year, Ohio State was a pretty popular Big Ten pick uh, for the playoffs. 
I don't think you're going to see any one consensus favorite from the Big Ten in everyone's playoffs, right? Is is do, do people like what are people's expectations of Ohio State this year? I I think that they're going to look at Justin Fields and it's either going to be I think it's either going to be Ohio State or Michigan. Recently, the whatever the national title odds are right now, I think Ohio State is listed ahead of Michigan, and I think those are the only two Big Ten teams in the upper tier. Yeah. Yeah, the Big Ten is getting, um, I feel like, more and more, uh, there's more and more parity in that divi- in that conference across the board, east and west. Uh, and I think this is probably the, the, the most parity we've seen so I, I definitely agree with that. That there is going to be some, a lot of cannibalization, a lot, a lot of L's, not a lot of undefeated records in that in that uh, conference. All right, what's your next question? All right, my next question is: uh, Will Brian Brzee, the number one prospect in the country in the class of 2020, be able? to make money off his likeness during his college career. And I only use Brian Brzee. You can use anybody in the class of 2020. Right. But point being, do you see a senior in high school this year over the course of a three to four year college career, be able to make money off his Jersey, make money off autographs, make money off of endorsement deals, anything, anything in that realm no you don't see it happening that quick huh no i I think so uh you know that is a little bit newsy as the working group uh the ncaa has announced it's going to have a working group to research and look into uh, adjustments to the model that would allow athletes to profit off their name and likeness similar to the olympic model as it is uh often packaged and sold to both supporters of the student athlete welfare rights and also those who are trying to defend the amateurism model uh, with their very, very tight fists. I believe that just like the college football playoff, there is, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to be put in place as fast as most would want it. Where I remember the college football playoff was announced maybe in 2011, like right after the Alabama LSU national championship game they're like all right okay cool we'll we'll do a playoff and so maybe they announced it in 2011 2012 but then we didn't even have it in place until the 2014 season and organizing the playoff was just a matter of uh slightly renegotiating some bowl contracts it's not a matter of overhauling legislation that includes basically allowing what has previously been determined to be an NCAA violation, right? Right. So I think to to rewrite that is just going to be, it's going to take a lot of hand-wringing and it's going to take a little bit more time than anyone would want. I love that you picked Brian Bercy or anybody from the 2020 class because that's essentially a four-year window. I could be I could be wrong and I would love, I would love to be wrong here. But my sense about the glacial pace of college athletics is that it, it's really more of like a, we're five plus years out situation. Yeah. I tend to agree with you. I'm going to, how about this one? 
what's going to happen first? College athletes will be able to profit off their image or likeness, or we'll have a six to eight team college football playoff. They might come together. Well, they're both, I think they're both going to happen. Right. So which one happens first? All right. So the first year of uh, the playoff of 2014, the six year look in window, the 12 years, I think name and likeness. That's cool. Yeah. I'm cool with that. Yeah. I I think name and likeness comes first. And I think our expansion is going to be in 2026. 2026. You think it expands to six or eight? Six. Yeah, they can't. They they just love just sort of dipping their toe in and just you know they can't. That's just too too dramatic to go eight. Well, and the is so so such a battleship. It and you get into the uh, how how do you keep um how do you keep value on the on the regular season the you keep those one and two spots in the playoffs as something that's coveted. Right. I I could I could see that and, you know, I mean, the NFL uses a 16 bracket. Our dumb football minds will be able to figure it out. <laughs> you you yeah. don't you don't I don't know if you eliminate conference championships in that scenario. You probably don't. But I I think that the I think an 18 playoff might require eliminating conference championships. I think a 16 playoff, you maintain that intrigue and you maintain that um you know, the, the desire to be one of those schools. That's just, Hey, that, that is one less game that you have to play in order to win a national championship. And, uh, and I I think that would be enough to keep those teams that maybe are a lock for the playoff competitive, just so that they can lock up uh, one of those top two spots. All right. What you got? Do you think Auburn will win 10 games? Next season. Uh, snap reaction without opening up their schedule, without having it memorized. Yes. Because this is Auburn wins 10 games year. Right. Right. <laughs> this is, this is, we're, we're, this is, this is how it goes. And, uh, and, and also, I think with Gus Malzahn, like, play in this game where like he's pretending like he's handing off the offense but he's not really handing off the offense and and oh he's hiring an offensive coordinator oh it's chip Lindsay's offense but no it's still gus malzahn's offense now he can just he can just own it that it's his and it's like he can stop pretending like he cares if someone else is is running this thing it's just his and i think that will help i think he's going to have Whoever's quarterback, whether it's Bo Nix or Joey Gatewood, will be more athletic, which is which makes Auburn better offensively. And they're gonna have a really good defense. They're gonna have a great defense. They're gonna have a great defensive front seven, anyways, or a great defensive line. So I would expect that wherever they find those wins, that they they figure it out. They get to 10. Absolutely. This is a Gus Malzahn 10 win season. <laughs> Man, I, I listen, I, I think that they, and it look, the schedule's tough. 
Um, they open up against Oregon in a neutral site game, I believe. They have to go at F- Texas A&M, at Florida, at LSU. Woo! But it is an odd number year. They get Georgia and Alabama and Jordan Hare in November. I think they get one of those games. I would guess that it's probably the Georgia game, but man, I I I could see this being a year like uh what was it was 2017 regular season. They won the Iron Bowl. Lost in the SEC Championship game, so Auburn fans don't necessarily like hold it in the same esteem as you know the the cam newton iron bowl or the 2013 iron bowl but they beat alabama in the iron bowl i i think that this year's auburn team is uh is destined for a big snapback and i i am all the way in i am all the way in on uh this year's auburn team being a 10 and 2 team at the end of the regular season well and not only that but they're they're bringing with it them some music city bowl mojo I mean, they're coming off Crushed an absolute <laughs> donkey stomp performance, sixty-three to fourteen over a Purdue team that some people, including myself, <laughs> thought could win or cover. Like they let loose, and and I think we we there's there's so many seared images in our brain of Auburn and this, and I, I've I've used this term continuously about Auburn's offense clunky it's all, it's just so clunky and just like these ugly frustrating maddening games but then sometimes that you just are reminded how much talent they have especially on the line of scrimmage and so I, I think we could early in the season have a few moments where we're like oh oh damn this is that kind of Auburn year so yeah I, I think I think 10 wins is is much is is much more likely than than say eight this year. I'm I'm on board with that. The uh, I mean Auburn was right there in that LSU game until Cole Tracy hits the game winning field goal. You know, there's there were a lot of games last year where it was maddening, particularly on offense. But I don't I don't think that they are so far off base or so far off course that they don't have a classic Gus Malzahn season in. So, yeah, I'm, I'm right there. I think Auburn wins double digits. Who, who would win if – because one of those maddening games was Washington-Auburn in the opener last year. Who would you pick in Washington-Auburn if they were opening again this year? Auburn. I would too. I would pick them without blinking. And I, I, I don't remember who I picked last year, but it was – whatever it was, it was – I may have picked – I might have picked Washington. I might have picked Auburn, but it, it was a toss-up uh, to me. I mean, I think I they're going to beat Oregon for the same reason. It might be clunky. I don't know if they'll cover the spread, but I don't think Oregon's going to beat this Auburn team. Yeah, I agree. All right, what you got? All right, I'm trying to figure out the best way to phrase this. This is a little less question and a little more talking point or, or conversation topic. But I want to I'm going to give you a list two groups, okay? Two groups of schools. You tell me which group of programs feels the healthier is the is the group that is more comfortably situated in the college football uh, world right now uh, as we head into the 2020 season. All right, group. Group A, 
Group A won. Arkansas, Penn State, Louisville, UCLA, Illinois, Rutgers, Arizona State, Virginia Tech, Utah. Got okay. it? Got it. Okay. All right. Group B, two. All right. Washington, Mississippi State, Purdue, Missouri, Ole Miss, Wisconsin, Clemson, Cal, Michigan State, Wake Forest, Northwestern, Stanford. B2. B2. It's obviously B2. All right. Do you want to know what those what those two groups were? What? Group A1 was programs that have 15 or more players in the transfer portal, either that they are losing to the transfer portal or gaining from the transfer portal. Group B is teams that have five or fewer transfer portal transactions. We'll call it that. So either guys they're losing or guys they're gaining. What a good question. What good research. Maybe I should have done that in question one. Uh, that was that was what I was doing while your internet was out before we, we started recording. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, I'm glad. That is man, that that that's something to uh do you have any like TBD columns coming up on the schedule? Like do you I, have do you have any writing uh, assignments maybe, that maybe you I'll, need to pitch? I'll, I'll, I'll cue that one up. That's a good one. I'll I'll cue that up. So <clears throat> I, I think that's so that what's interesting about it, I mean obviously it's a lot of especially on the on the non portal transaction group. There's a lot of the teams you expect. Like, I mean, Clemson. Stanford. Yeah. It, Stanford's the only Power Five team in the country that I found that has zero, zero uh, players that they're that are transferring in, zero players transferring out. Well, you know why that is. Well, because you can't get into Stanford and you don't <laughs> right. want to get out of Stanford. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If you're there, you might as well get the degree, and right. you're not going to be able to get in if you're not already there. Yeah, but I mean. Uh, you know, Vanderbilt's got had like eight or something. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a sit Northwestern is similar. Northwestern only has one, but I also think that's a, that's a credit to, I mean, it's a credit to our, our boy, Dave Clawson at Wake Forest, one, uh, Michigan state, two, Cal, three, Clemson, three, uh, Wisconsin four again. These are like all the teams you just expect. They just they evaluate well. They develop well. The 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 team culture is strong. People and and I I talk about this all the time too. It's like this all this transfer portal stuff and how people are saying it's bad for kids and bad for you know it's teaching them the wrong things to quit or whatever. No, it's not. It's it is incentivizing coaches to create a culture and an environment that connects guys and doesn't, and, and makes them want to stay and makes them want to buy into something. And I think those, most of those teams that, that we just, that I just listed are cultures and environments that I think would speak to that. And, and that's what, so when you look at the other side, I mean, a lot of like Arkansas was the, was the, the, the most that I found 23. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot of turnover. And I know it's early in the tenure, but it's a lot of turnover. Um, I do believe Chad Morris might. Chad Morris might hate like fifteen to twenty-five players on the team that he inherited. No, and I yeah, and that's that's not a like a, a, like that. I'm not. Uh, I don't mean that necessarily as a like you kind of get it when the teams that are early in their tenures, you kind of get it. 
Um, but hey, that's, I mean, you're talking about program health. The question was phrased as like a healthy program and programs that are early in the tenure of a head coach are going to be less healthy than programs that are well-established in year four and five of a head coach or more. But here's and, and here's the interesting ones though. So you get Arkansas, you get Louisville, like you get even UCLA, um, Virginia, you know, Arizona state in year two, 15, the ones that are head scratchers, you got Penn State with 19 guys either transferring in or out. That's they're you know they've had time to put together the the culture that they want. Like that's a it's it's just weird. Like them they're second in terms of transfer portal transactions. Um, so you know that that I don't think is a good indicator. Um, the other one that I thought was was striking was is. And this is actually the team that inspired me to do this because I expected them to be maybe number one or, or up there. But Illinois, like, they're, you're no longer at the point, if you're Lovey Smith, where you are trying to sort of turn over the roster with your kind of guys. Like, I get sort of the quick fixes early, year one, year two, you get a bunch of transfers in, you run a bunch of guys off. Uh, you try to get the ball rolling quickly, and then you start recruiting your guys. They, Lovey Smith, Illinois, they've almost done it the opposite way. They've recruited early, and now, and it didn't, and, it's, and it hadn't really clicked. And now they're trying to just find a quick fix with every USC kid that's transferring out and telling them to come to come to Champaign. So that to me is like not. Maybe it helps them this year because they get a couple of grad transfers that can play. Maybe impact, but to me, it doesn't speak to like a positive, um, a, a, a positive foundation that's been built over the last four years, however long he's been there. No, I, I, a hundred percent agree. There's there there is nothing wrong, um, like it. The increased transfer culture has, in some ways. It has required coaches to continue to recruit their own rosters, and in some ways that has exposed strengths and weaknesses of college football coaches that we have not previously uh, looked at, and maybe it's asking more of them in, in ways that they haven't been demanded, but it's it's where we're at right now in the modern college football sport. And I also think, because we sort of were musing about what Dan Mullen is going to do uh, and and whether that that, that thing is going to be a little loose at Florida, but you look at Mississippi State, and I think Dan Mullen deserves some of the credit for them only having five transfer portal transactions, um, because that means that the guys that they inherited were guys that they were comfortable with and are positive influences on the roster and they don't need to try to go out and replace, or they haven't had a hard time ingratiating into their, uh, program. And so, you know, there's, there's in some cases, and another one I thought was interesting, Ole Miss is sitting there at only four. That's for all the, the issues that that program has gone through. Matt Luke's been able to keep that roster pretty intact um well there was the there was the mass exodus initially right what's that the mass exodus initially right but that yeah yeah so that's so we're a little bit the the dust is settled there right um i mean if you stuck around through that you might as well ride it out 
right. you really like Oxford. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Uh, I've uh do you do you have any others on your list? I mean, I have another one, but it's it was my least it was my least favorite of my questions. Okay. Well, uh well we'll we'll wrap there. I've got to go do yeah. a PGA Championship preview show. So, uh it's, it. it's major week, baby. You can follow him on Twitter on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can see him on CBS Sports HQ, cbssportshq.com. You can follow me at chip_patterson. Barton, thank you very much. Deserve. <laughs>